Northgate. All right, we are one week away from Christmas Eve. We have eight days to finish all of our Christmas shopping to get everything done, those last minute, all that craziness of the last week um, is it's going to fly by. It's going to be here like before we know it. So um, good luck to you all. I, I know I have a few things to do as well. Um, we, if you are just joining us, I see a lot of visitors. Thank you guys for coming to support the kids, to see them sing their, their song, Silent Night. Uh, if you're joining us, we are in the book of Revelation. <laughs> Welcome to Northgate. <laughs> um, we don't always go through apocalyptic and prophetic literature, um, but we did want to spend some time in the book of Revelation because it is one of the 66 books of the Bible and it has a lot of important information, especially related to uh, Christmas and the second coming of Christ. Um, as we celebrate Advent, I realized we haven't really touched on what the whole significance of Advent is, but Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of waiting where we are preparing our hearts, and when you read about it, like the, the Christian church, a lot of Christian churches join in the same season of waiting for the coming of the Messiah or the second coming, and the second coming. So it's a season where we're preparing our hearts, and what the book of Revelations has really revealed to us is that God is outside of time, outside of space. He has written all things in this book um, that has covered everything from the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, to the end of time, and the new creation, in which we're going to talk about today. We're going to get to the new creation, which he delivers to us in the very last two chapters of the book of Revelation. Advent is this season where we're saying we are preparing, we are going to celebrate the coming of the Messiah. Christmas is about the birth. It's remembering the birth of Jesus Christ from coming, stepping down from his place in heaven to be with us on the earth. At the same time, we're also preparing our hearts for that, that day of the Lord, the day in which Jesus Christ will return again, and as you go throughout your calendar year, there are different ceremonial times where we're celebrating the, these acts that Jesus has done. The two big ones in the church that we tend to celebrate are Christmas in a week and Easter in, in, the, in the springtime. But as you go through those, you're seeing the birth of Jesus, the acts of Jesus that led up to the cross and his purpose in coming to the earth to fulfill all things in dying on the cross and then overcoming the grave and proclaiming victory in the resurrection of Christ. Revelation does an awesome job if you read it as it's supposed to be written aloud to the people. And if you read it all through in one sitting, which I, I, I got to do this last week, just reading through all 22 books at the, or 22 chapters at the same time, you get a full picture of what he's trying to express here. The beginning of time, right? The, the creation, all the way up until the very end where Jesus says, Now it is done. Now it is done. As we've gone through this series, we've looked at a few things, and I do want to reiterate the point that the point of Revelation is not to agree, but to grow. Let me see. The point of Revelation is not to agree, but to grow. We've looked at from the very beginning that this, meant is meant to, or this book is meant to be a blessing to us, read aloud to us. And then we went into Revelation chapter 4, and we sat in the throne room of God. 
And hopefully you were able to imagine what that's going to look like as Jesus, or as God sits on the throne. And then in, verse, or in chapter 5, as Jesus approaches the throne, takes the scroll from the Father sitting on the throne, and starts to break open these seals. Whatever is in that scroll, Jesus was the only one worthy to open the seals that bound the scroll. And you get this picture um, of, of Jesus stepping in as, as the lion in the form of a lamb, encompassing all of the characteristics of a lion, a leader, a dominant personality, someone who is strong and courageous, but also a lamb, meek and humble and frail, who was in the appearance of a slaughtered lamb, the image of Jesus being sacrificed on the cross is what made him willing or made him able to approach the throne of Jesus to take the scroll and open it. We skipped over the next chapters, not because um, they're not important, but because there's a lot of imagery in chapters 6 through 11 that can be very confusing, that can be very scary. Um, And we looked at chapter 12, and we looked at this battle of light and darkness, because it is a Christmas series. We're trying to keep this on the focus of Christmas. And we saw the the dragon coming from the, the, the outer realms, from this cosmic reality. This was the inspiration for this whole series, that there is a cosmic battle happening right now in the spiritual realm that we cannot see but is at work against us, fighting against us, and God fighting for us, and and there is a battle of light and darkness, and, and the enemy, the dragon, sat there as Jesus was born, waiting to devour the frailty of Christ as he entered into this world. The preceding chapters of 13 to 21 continue to express these images, and and we're not going to skip over them in the sense that I want you guys to read these. They are extremely uh, descriptive. They're they're extremely descriptive in nature where you will see the unfoldings of the end of times, and I will tell you, I don't want to hide from it. It is not pretty. The picture that is presented is that the image of this world will, will get worse before it gets better. And really, I mean, this is what causes a lot of questions in Revelation is the timeline of the unfolding of all of these events. I don't know. I don't know when these events happen in history. I can't tell you exactly what each of these time frames or what each of these events actually mean yet. I do believe that as they unfold, our eyes will be open and we will be able to say, oh, this was already written. In a very similar way that we have the Old Testament now and all of the prophecies that pointed to Jesus, we're able to go back and look and say, look, prophetically these were written before they happened. It's very obvious now that that the stump or the root of Jesse is Jesus. That Jesus was a fulfillment of all of this lineage and all of this history that was written before it happened. I can look back at the prophetic word and say it was pointing to this exact point in time. As the apocalyptic literature of Revelation begins to happen, we'll be able to look back at it and say, this is what was written. Okay, Prophetically, this was projected to happen, and it happened exactly as it happened, or as it said it was going to happen. I looked up a, or a little poem 
that I thought described this book of Revelation and wanted to share it with you. In realms of visions, a tale unfolds where mysteries and prophecies are told. The book of Revelation, a glimpse of the end, with vivid imagery, its message it sends. A battle of good and evil, light and dark, where angels and demons leave their mark. The Lamb of God, victorious and true, bringing hope and redemption for me and you. From the seven seals to the trumpet sound, the final judgment, the world's fate is found. Yet amidst chaos and turmoil, a promise remains of a new heaven and earth where peace sustains. Let us heed its words with open hearts, embrace the message as it imparts, for in the book of Revelation we find a call to faith and love that binds. Revelation is meant to be a blessing for you. And as we begin to conclude this, this short, very short four-week study on Revelation, I, I do want to bring a sense of peace, as that is our, our Advent this week, that as times start to get hard, that we would keep in mind an image of this new creation that he's about to reveal to us. I know Christmas can be a, a season where it feels either extremely joyous or extremely sorrowful. Sometimes Christmas can bring about memories that sadden our hearts because we remember the season so vividly, so real. Others, we remember joyous times of family and presence and playing with cousins and extended family. If you are in the spirit of sorrow, I want you to know that God does have an image in mind for you that will bring about a new creation, a new sense of joy and happiness and peace. So we turn to Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. As we've been going through this book over the last couple of weeks, the, the two things that I've pondered the most are the presence of God and the usage of our time. As he addresses the seven churches of Asia Minor, and he goes into uh, Philadelphia and Smyrna and Phrygia and Laodicea, right? He's, he says that he is the seven lampstands, the ones that walks among the churches, that he walks among the churches, that God's position, the Holy Spirit's position is with us. 
that he is with us. And it says that he who was and is and is to come, that God's presence, not his present, but his presence is all throughout this entire book. The focal point of the throne room of God was his presence. All the elders and all the creatures that surround the throne are there because God's presence is amongst them. In the battle between the dragon and the pregnant woman, the enemy is trying to destroy the baby that is being delivered because that is the presence of God here on the earth. The enemy is fighting to prevent you from experiencing the presence of God. And now we see here in this chapter the promise of the new heaven and the new earth that will revolve around God's presence. So when we think of Christmas and we think of presents, like the physical packages, I want you to think of God's presence, that he is here, he is with you. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. His presence will be their guiding light and the source of all comfort, no more crying, no more pain. The second is the usage of time. I'm a math guy, right? So I wanted to give you guys a little visual of our time, okay? Now some of these are kind of funny. Um, but we spend a most of our life, if you look at this on average, and this is based on an average life expectancy of 80 years, right? So if you're an 80-year-old person, this is kind of what you can expect to spend most of your time doing, sleeping. Some of us is more than others, Okay. Teenage years especially, Taryn. Um, 318 months worth of your life are spent sleeping. Going to school, 43 months. Working, 128 months. I think that's a little low for some of us. Going to the bathroom, 13 months. <laughs> I think with the creation of cell phones, it's probably longer. Okay, Waiting in line. 60 months, unless you're one of those people that will drive all the way around a line so that you don't have to wait in it. Yeah, I know, my mom's pointing at my dad, yeah. Yes, very true. Looking for lost possessions, 12 months. May I recommend a tile? Put a tile on your keys, you'll find it real quick, right? What that leaves us with is 233 months of other time to fill up in your life. As I've been thinking about time, because usually Revelation draws out that question of time, of, of what, is, what am I going to do with my life? If this is the direction that it's heading, what am I doing now? What is the fulfillment of all my time? Let that be a challenge for you this week. Determine what you want to spend those 233 months of your life doing. That's really only about 20 years of your life. If in your free time you have things that you want to develop, what is it that you want to develop? Is it seeking the presence of God? Where do you fit that into your, into your time? Moving on to Revelation chapter 21, verse 6. John says, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. 
Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. He said to me, it is done. This word, I did a a deep... um, Greek study on the word because it's phrased a little differently from the one that we hear in John chapter 19 verse 30 where Jesus is on the cross and he's taking on all the the sins of the world and he's got his arms stretched out and he's getting ready to die and he says it is finished and it's not the same word when he holds out his arms and says it is finished he says tetelestai the Greek word is tetelestai, which really means it's a, it's a fulfillment of a payment. He's paid the price for our sins. He has taken on our, our sins upon his shoulders and claimed victory over death. When he proclaims, it is finished, he's saying, your salvation, your salvific work is completed in me. For us, that is the hope of our salvation. Gegona is the word that he uses here. Gegona is the word of completion in the sense of completing a puzzle. How many of you have ever completed a puzzle and you're putting in that last piece and you go, I'm done. And you look at the completion of this masterful work and you're looking at it in all of its com- completeness and you're saying, I've finished this work. What, God, what Jesus is telling John in this vision is that at the introduction of this new creation, he has completed the work of all of his creation. He gives us this, this image where from the beginning of Genesis, he built up this garden of Eden where he had this purpose for our life to live in perfect harmony with God. With the introduction of sin, everything changed. That plan changed. We entered into this this lifestyle where we were going to need a sacrifice, a savior to come and redeem our relationship with God. Jesus fulfilled all of that. This new creation fulfills the purpose of all of creation. It's almost like Jesus was the midpoint of this entire plan. And then in the introduction of the new creation, God says, it is done. Gagona. Into verse, uh, verse 9. It says, I'm just going to read through this last part for the sake of time, but to give us an image of what this new Jerusalem, the bride of the Lamb, looks like. It says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who walked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide as it is high, as it is long. It's basically 
getting this picture of a, almost a cube-like structure. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the th- sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. This is kind of where we get this image of golden streets and magnificence and marvelous work being done. This is the image of this heaven that we may think of oftentimes where we will reside in the presence of God. And then in verse 22, it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I hope we're all striving to be in the presence of God. That we're taking that time in our life, not the time that's already dedicated to things that we have to do, sleep and work and go to the bathroom and all that stuff, but the time that's undesignated that we are saying, I want to seek out the presence of God because I want to exist here. When we pray, when he taught us to pray, he said, Lord, heaven on earth. This we can experience here and now. This is an image of the ever-existent eternal state of heaven in which we can go, we will go and be in in time. But he wants us to experience this right now. We do this by experiencing the presence of God. When we get wrapped up in the presence of God, We get to experience a little taste of heaven. Just to give you guys a visual here, this is the correlation between Genesis and Revelation. In 1.1, says God created the heavens and the earth. Now in Revelation 21.1, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. In verses 14 through 19, God creates the sun and the moon. Now the sun and the moon are no longer needed because the city of God is lit up by the Lamb it's light. In verse 323, where uh, sin enters into the picture, paradise is lost. And in verses 2 through 3, paradise is restored. In chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 8, man flees and hides from God. And then in chapter 22, man gets back into full communion with God, and communion is restored. In verse 22, the tree of life was denied by Adam. In verse 14 of chapter 22, the tree of life is offered back to man. And in that beginning chapter of chapter 3, Satan deceives man. And in verse 10 of the previous chapter, Satan is destroyed. 
I want to leave you with um, this one last story from one of my favorite theologians, A.W. Tozer. He wrote a, a memoir in one of his last writings. It's an 18-page memoir for the church. And in this memoir, he, he gives a sort of a rebuke to the, the church. In his culminating words, he stressed the importance of the presence of God. And he, and he writes to the church saying, don't leave up all of your spiritual growth to the pastor. Your growth is not up to me. He writes, in seeking spiritual growth, go down in meek humility and confess that we have grieved the Holy Spirit and dishonored our Lord in failing to give him the place his Father has given him as the head and the Lord of the church. Church, make no mistake, Jesus is the Lord of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. And if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to know God, you must seek his presence in your own time. And in your own time, when you seek him, you will find him. He promises us that he stands at the door and knocks. He's just waiting for us to let him in. That's my challenge for us this morning, church. Will you let God in? Will you seek out the presence of God? Let's pray. God, I, I thank you so much for this book that we've had the privilege, privilege of reading aloud and hearing the message and the vision that you gave to John, that you've given us extreme hope for the eternal future God, we long to be in your presence. God, I pray that we would get caught up in the throne room of God, that we would approach your throne with boldness, knowing that Jesus has gone before us. God, that we would join with the elders and the creatures of the heavenly realms, <coughs> that we would stand upon the cross, we would stand upon Jesus' proclamation that it is finished and look forward to that moment where we can say, it is done. God, this is all orthodoxy. We hear it. We learn it. We learn the, the practices of Jesus, the images of Jesus, the prophetic. But as we said last week, orthodoxy without orthopraxy is idolatry. So now, in this time, God, all of this orthodoxy that we've learned and we've heard, may we turn it into an orthopraxy, a practice of worship, God, as we, we sing songs of Emmanuel, as we sing songs of the coming Christ, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, may our hearts reflect the joy of all of these orthodoxy. God, may the image of the King, may the throne room of heaven be here. May, may heaven come to earth. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.